This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape. We've got a ton to cover, so I'm just going to get to it. hope everybody's had an awesome week. I've had a pretty great uh, couple days since I talked to you guys last. Um, we've been in production. Uh, we're about to start shooting a project. If you guys have been listening to Geekscape, you may be able to guess which of the projects it is that we talk about on the show. Um, here's a hint. Go back and listen to the Suburban Legends uh, episode. Um, I love doing these Geekscape pods. A lot of you guys have been telling me that you enjoy them. Like I said last uh, episode, I do want to keep doing the interview ones. been talking to a couple of people about having them on the show. Uh, let me go ahead and name names. Uh, my brother Paul. I would love to have my brother Paul on the show. We're going to be working together in the next couple of weeks, so look for Paul to be on it. Um, Lucas Till. I traded some emails yesterday with Lucas Till. He was Havoc in X-Men, first class. Uh, when he gets back from... A movie he's shooting right now. He's going to sit down and do a Geekscape with us. Maybe get some uh, X-Men First Class 2 Days of Future Past news out for you guys. Um, a couple more people I've been talking to about having you guys on. But I'll keep those as a surprise. Anyway, let's get right to the news. Before I forget, though, uh, you guys have been so supportive over the years. I want to, of course, support you guys any way I can. Um, got this email earlier today from William Anderson. He's one of the Geekscapists. You guys know him over on uh, the Geekscape website. Um, Will Anderson's awesome. We actually met in Austin for the first time at South by Southwest this past year. Uh, So what's going on with Will is, and where he needs your help is, uh, he says for the past six months he's been writing a weekly column for a Pokemon fan site. Okay. Uh, It's PokemonPodcast.com. The main dude who runs the site has set up a gallery in Milwaukee. Uh, where they're going to have a charity art show uh, where the artists from around the world submit a piece based on their favorite Pokemon. The pieces are all going to be donated by the artists, and they're going to be auctioned, and then the proceeds go to Child's Play. Um, And the show has been listed on the Child's Play site. You can go and check it out. So Will is actually going to submit a Cyndaquil piece. (laughs) Is that how you pronounce that Pokemon? I know who he is. He's the uh, baby version of uh, Charizard. Did I get that right? Is that what he is? Or maybe he's the medium-level Charizard. I don't know. Um, uh, so he's submitting a Cyndaquil piece uh, that I know that you guys are all going to be bidding for. I think Will knows that. I know that. We're going to be supporting Will. And anyway, he wants you to mention uh, the, the art show on, on Geekscape right here. Uh, it's 649monsters.com. We can also throw it up on the website. Uh, Will, hit me up. Let me know when I should be shouting it out on the website, too. Um, He says he's going to wear his Geekscape shirts to the gallery show. Uh, He should be doing that anyway. Not because he got a shout-out, but because he's been a loyal Geekscapist for, like, five-plus years. So 
look for that on the Geekscape website coming up so we can support Will, support a good charity in Child's Play. And who knows, you might walk away with some really amazing original Pokemon artwork. Um, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. All right, let's get to news. Huge news coming up. Um, let's work to it. Mickey Rourke is officially signed on to be Marv in Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. That's what I think Robert Rodriguez is going to be directing after he finishes up Machete Kills. Um, I'm excited about it. I'm really excited for a uh, sequel to Sin City. I, I thought Sin City, the first one, was just incredible. And uh, I, I think it gets forgotten a little bit in this current wave of superhero-centric comic book movies. Um, I actually wanted to do a piece on this uh, that I talked about with Sean Madden, one of our writers, about how the comic book movie has just kind of become superhero dominated. But remember, it wasn't so long ago that we had movies like Sin City, we had movies like uh, Road to Perdition, History of Violence, all those things based on graphic novels. Maybe the best way to go about a story like that is, what are some of the non-superhero graphic novels that really would uh, lend themselves to a really awesome film treatment? Can you guys think of any? I would love to open up this discussion with you guys and ask you the question, what non-superhero comics or um, graphic novels are out there that would really lend itself well to a movie treatment? Of course, we've got Walking Dead going on on TV now. Uh, it lends itself to TV. Um, what about movies? Um, earlier today, uh, to talk comics for a little bit, I read a uh, Paul Chadwick comic. Paul Chadwick does a comic called Concrete. Concrete, when I was... I guess in middle school, going into high school, Concrete was uh, a comic that he was publishing with Dark Horse, kind of around the time that, like, can you guys hear Rufus snoring? Oh, my God, like, my dog Rufus is snoring like crazy. Hey, Rufus, poor Rufus, he has an ear infection, so he has, like, a cone around his ear. Uh, He has, like, a cone around his head right now, so he won't scratch his ear, but he is snoring up a racket. I think, I mean, I think some of you guys can hear that. Uh, (laughs) Rufus, are you all right? He's had a long day. He's had a really long day of rest, eating, pooping, and playing. Anyway, let me get back to it. Um, Rufus, I'm going to need you to wake up, dude. Wake up, wake up. He, he can't wake up. Like Rufus, once he hits like almost 9 o'clock at night, he goes into a coma state. Anyway, stay focused. Concrete, the book by Paul Chadwick. Uh, there was actually a Guillermo del Toro. No, it wasn't Guillermo del Toro. I think it was Peter Jackson. One of those two guys wrote a concrete script. I don't know if I still have it, but they wrote a script for a concrete movie. I never read it, but I think I, I actually got a copy of it and printed it out and never really got, got around to it. But um, I think concrete would be a really tough movie to do because if you read it, it's kind of like a Ben Grimm story. Uh, it's about a guy who is a political speechwriter, and while he's camping with a buddy of his, he sees these lights up in like the mountains right at night. So he goes hiking, and he and his buddy actually get abducted. And their brains get transplanted out of their body into these rock bodies, right? So he ends up escaping. His friend doesn't. And he sees these aliens doing experiments on, like, deer and other wildlife from, from Earth. He escapes, and the spaceship takes off, kind of erupts out of the side of the mountain and takes off. Um, but he's free. The problem is the aliens have his body. And this isn't one of those stories where, like, he has to get his body back. Um, no, he, he's stuck in this concrete body, and, uh, and he's just gone through a divorce, which was the reason he was on a camping trip with his friend to get his, his mind off of things. And this is a guy, this character Ron, is a guy who is always thinking. 
uh, you know, he's a political speechwriter. He likes to think about things conceptually. So it's kind of a, a, a non-Ben Grimm. You know how Ben Grimm always gets sad, you know, uh, in the Fantastic Four books? Uh, it's always cool that Ben Grimm's like this big clobbering time guy. But really the coolest parts of I thought, always thought of Ben Grimm or the Fantastic Four in general were those times when you saw the dysfunctional family. Not just the dysfunctional family, but the dysfunctional family members. You know, Johnny was hot-headed. Um, Sue, you know, felt invisible. Of course, you, you know, I mean, it, it, was, it was really like what the entire characters were about, and I don't have to literalize it for you. Um, concrete, this guy has to learn to kind of live on modern-day Earth in society with this body that is alien, right? This concrete body that doesn't allow him to touch. And he's kind of left with his thoughts. And what does he do? He falls in love, but of course you have the problem there. Uh, he can do feats of things like he can climb Everest. He can he can hold his breath uh, almost infinitely underwater. Um, but of course he can't write a he can't hold a pencil and like <laughs> share these thoughts in writing. So he has to dictate them. But you can't really press down on a tape recorder without smashing it. You have a concrete body. For those of you guys who are looking for something that's uh, a bit indie, uh, maybe it really ponders your place in the world, go look for Concrete. I think it would be a really tough movie to make because obviously there's budget reasons why Concrete would be tough to bring to a big screen. You almost would need to make it a big movie. And, and the entire concept of Concrete is more of like an indie movie. It's something that you would see like, um, what would be a good filmmaker like uh, for this? Uh, hmm. Really, somebody like uh, like well, what's his last name? I'm going to blank on it. But the guy who did like the in- um, oh man, I'm I'm, I'm not even going to try this. I'll write up the article. I think if we got one thing, we got the, an impetus for like a really good article on Cakescape.net. So throw me some feedback. What would be some really good non-superhero comics that could make some really good movies? And who do you suggest makes them? Um, I've got my ideas. Maybe I'll write up uh, who I think would do a good job on a concrete movie. Um, all right. Uh, let's keep talking about news. Uh, we mentioned Walking Dead. Um, let me see if I can get a date on that Sin City. Uh, nope. Can't get a... Uh, nope. Don't know when they're going to start shooting uh, the Sin City s- sequel. But... Uh, Anyway, uh, Walking Dead news. Artist Tony Moore is suing for co-authorship of The Walking Dead. He's not, he's not suing for points. He's not suing for money. He's suing for co-authorship. It seems that he feels like uh, he was worked out of what would ultimately be ownership of the TV rights to The Walking Dead or uh, the big, bigger part of the pie for The Walking Dead. And now that The Walking Dead has turned into a giant television series, I don't think he's feeling like he's seen enough of it because he was actually granted 60% of the comic publishing net proceeds and 20% of motion picture net proceeds for The Walking Dead. That doesn't include, I don't think, television. And now he's seeing this thing become a television hit and it's not really lending itself to what he has the rights for, which is a movie. So that one's tough. Um... Who knows? Who knows how it's gonna how it's gonna work? But it's getting a little bit nasty, and uh, it might end up in court. So, Walking Dead fans, might be some rocky water uh, up ahead. Some 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 rough tides, boy. Some rough tides. You better strap in. Speaking of litigation, speaking of rights, speaking of options, here's a rumor that got floated around towards the end of the weekend. Uh, Marvel Studios 
you know that the options on Fox uh, that you know the options that Fox have are the Fantastic Four, uh, which includes Galactus and the Silver Surfer, and then they've also got the Daredevil rights. It sounds like they're really trying to push forward with this Josh Trank directed Fantastic Four, so they can keep the option alive. Can they move forward with both Daredevil and the Fantastic Four rights, both of which I think expire sometime in the fall if a movie is not greenlit and put into production by that time? Um, it sounds like they're kind of far away on the Daredevil movie. They want Joe Carnahan to direct it. I think he'd be great. Um, but it sounds like the, the Fantastic Four movie is a bigger movie for them. They probably see the, uh, the chance of, of making that movie something that's more profitable to the studio. It's cosmic. It's big. It's probably something that they could look at as their, uh, their next big franchise. Uh, Josh Trank is great for it. Hmm. So here's the rumor. According to Variety, Marvel was willing to give Fox an extension on Daredevil if Fox, if Fox relinquished the rights to Galactus and the Silver Surfer early, right? So it doesn't ensure that a Daredevil movie would even be made at Fox, but they'd have more time to work on the Daredevil movie. So maybe the rumor is that Marvel sees Fox trying to put both of these movies into production to save it on the option and says, hey, hey, Fox, um, don't go nuts. Go ahead and take your time with Daredevil, but because we're giving you a chance to take your time with Daredevil, go ahead and give us back Galactus Fantastic Four. We'll throw them in the Marvel Universe over here at Disney. We'll have the Avengers go up against them. We'll have a bit of the, uh, you know, maybe Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, threatened by Galactus, Silver Surfer is part of it. Considering they already kind of used the Shatari and the Avengers for the Skrull invasion, and uh, you know you can you know I know Ian Kerner has this theory that uh, that the Shatari were like the annihilation wave from the Fantastic Four and humans uh, kind of galactic Silver Surfer world, which is Fantastic Four. Uh, of course, Annihilus and the Annihilation Wave. That's those are Fantastic Four villains. Uh, because Marvel kind of already did, an, uh, you know, an Annihilation Wave storyline with the Shatari, which, hey, if it's going to be the Avengers fighting to protect Earth from aliens, everybody wanted the Skrulls. But again, those are tied up with the Fantastic Four storyline. Sounds like Marvel is trying to really get some of the classic stories, the coming of Galactus, the warning of the Silver Surfer. Does it have to be the Silver Surfer warning the Fantastic Four? Does it have to be a Fantastic Four story? Could the Galactus... Silver Surfer story happen properly with the Avengers. Who knows? We may never know. This thing was thrown up as a rumor. Um, again, with with uh, with studios and and properties, they're never going to put all their cards on the table. And sometimes they're going to plant things in the press. Either Marvel or Fox are going to plant things in the press to kind of play one side against the other. Who knows? Uh, it is interesting, though. It is interesting. I've heard of rumors of. Uh, one of the studios just wanting to buy out, buy it back. Uh, again, Disney bought the Avengers away from Paramount. Uh, Paramount did make some money on Avengers, did have some rights to the Avengers, but the Avengers was going to be the last deal under the Paramount distribution deal for the original Marvel films, the first wave of Marvel films, and Disney was like, nah, we'll take the profits on that, and went ahead and uh, paid Paramount a chunk to get it out early. Um, speaking of that, Let's talk Avengers. Here's some news for you. Our buddy Joss Whedon got re-signed to do not only the sequel to the Avengers as writer-director, but he's also going to be spearheading a show for ABC Television and Marvel that takes place in the Avengers universe. 
Um, that's big. That, that gives you a chance to introduce characters, possibly like Doctor Strange, Black Panther, uh, maybe a, a, a smaller team book like Heroes for Hire, and introduce them uh, as something that's a support for the Avengers big screen universe, but doesn't necessarily have a place to be shoehorned into a two-hour movie. Uh, Eric Diaz, one of our writers, wrote a really good article suggesting what five properties he would like Joss Whedon to tackle in a TV series. Um, he said Avengers Academy, why not? It could lend itself to TV stars leaping into the Avengers movies. Of course, Colby Smulders already did that with Maria Hill and the Avengers. Uh, a S.H.I.E.L.D. series. A S.H.I.E.L.D. series would be good. Why not have a, an Iron Man cameo every now and then? Spider-Woman. Spider-Woman is a good suggestion. Obviously, you know, the idea is... Joss Whedon really loves these strong female characters trying to find their way in the world. If you go with Brian Michael Bendis' recent uh, approach to Spider-Woman, she's kind of playing, you know, who is she? She kind of has a little bit of a dollhouse, you know, mission operative thing where she doesn't know if her allegiance is to S.H.I.E.L.D., maybe her allegiance is to Nick Fury, maybe it's to uh, Hydra who brainwashed her. And, you know, the Hydra guys are already introduced in the Marvel Universe anyway with the Captain America movie. Um, here's, a, here's one out of left field, Damage Control. Um, damage control is, uh, is, I don't even know what damage control is. That's what a noob I am. Uh, is the company that cleans up the massive citywide damage done whenever superheroes battle supervillains. So damage control, why not? I don't know if that could be a TV series, Eric. I, I think damage control would run out of steam. It feels like a joke. You know what I mean? It, damage control could barely work as a comic book. It didn't work as a comic book. It's something that feels like a joke. Uh, how much steam could you actually put into that series? You know, people cleaning up after superheroes? Mm, not buying that one, Eric. Uh, but you know what? I love that you tried. Uh, going back to female-centric leads, he rounded it out with She-Hulk. She-Hulk is a great one. You know, uh, there's procedurals on TV. There's courtroom shows like Ally McBeal that have been very successful on TV. Why not She-Hulk? You know, uh, by day she's a lawyer. Or every now and then Jonathan, Jennifer Walters has to, has to get rid of the lawyer thing and bust a little ass with the green... She-Hulk. The thing about She-Hulk and why it would be a smart series is, and I think Alias, the series that they wanted to do about Jessica Drew, uh, that is supposedly on the back burner now or, or in development hell, the Brian Michael Bendis Alias series, is the good idea about these series, She-Hulk, Alias, which I guess they were calling AKA Jessica Drew, um, is that you can introduce more Marvel characters. They could be clients. They could be people who go to you for help, and all of a sudden you've got a bunch of Marvel characters in the Marvel Universe because each episode, maybe Speedball needs help. Maybe, you know, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you get Danny Rand in there and he needs some help. Uh, you know, it's pretty much infinite. Whatever character that Marvel has, they can basically throw into this series of procedurals as introductions, you know, you, you, you could do anything. Um, great article, Eric. Awesome, awesome. So we're talking a lot of Marvel. What the heck is going on across the pond at DC? Um, here's some good news. Uh, I thought of this was good news, um, but it's being refuted now. Ben Affleck, would he co-star and direct the Justice League movie for DC and Warner Brothers? Whoa, that's an interesting notion. Um, is Ben Affleck a natural fit for the Justice League movie? Um, he's done these personal sort of uh, gray area crime mystery movies, right? And we'll, we'll see what happens with, uh, with the one that, that hasn't come out yet, right? But um, this is what Variety is reporting. Variety is reporting that um, 
after the success of the town, and he's obviously like like Warner Brother lo- Warner Brothers loves him because of the town, and then he's got this uh, this one coming up about Iran. Um, he might be the guy that is the Joss Whedon for Warner Brothers. Um, hmm. I love Ben Affleck. I'll tell you right now. I told Ben Affleck this back in 2004. I told Ben Affleck this in person. I was like, dude, I think you're great. Um, is he a good choice for the Justice League movie? I think stylistically, I think I think Ben Affleck's somebody who really thinks about the films that he makes. It's evident in, uh, uh, you know, um, Gone Baby Gone, which was fantastic. It, it was evident in The Town, which was fantastic. If you just look stylistically at the like long lens, you know, realistic look that they're doing, that that he's been doing in his movie, it's close to the kind of stuff that you see in the Superman trailer for Man of Steel. Uh, you know, that one's kind of been accused of being a bit of a, uh, you know, Levi's commercial, right? With the, with the look of, of Clark walking down the street and, you know, uh, you know, you got some laundry blowing in the wind out on the Kent farm. If that's what they're doing, if they're going for realism in that way, right? Uh, and if they're going for character in that way, I think Ben Affleck is a good choice. He can obviously handle a, an ensemble because Gone Baby Gone was an ensemble, um, you've got the town was an ensemble, and what I like is that it, it works in this gray area, right? Everybody's allegiances are different, and everybody kind of has their own reasons for being part of it. I think he's a good choice, but then of course now we've got Deadline Hollywood kind of refuting the rumor, uh, claiming that Ben Affleck's camp is saying no, no, like we we don't we aren't doing it yet, but there is a meeting. So uh, if this moves forward, I think it's a good thing. Don't hate on uh, don't hate on uh, on Ben. Uh, I think he's a good choice for the JLA. Let's see. Um, speaking of jo- good choices, it looks like a live-action CGI ALF movie is coming. <laughs> yeah, you, you you heard me right. Um, ALF was a sitcom I used to watch as a kid. From 1986 to 1990, it was like uh, literally 102 episodes it lasted. It was a uh, it was a a network TV show. It was on like it was like a sitcom, but it had this alien from Melmac called ALF. And I guess they would do it as a CGI character. I gotta disagree with this choice. The the appeal of Alf was that he was a Muppet. You know, the idea, uh, like the appeal of him was that he was a puppet that was basically sitting on the couch acting like a jerk in this living room. Uh, he'd eat cats and or threaten to eat the cats and this and that. And the whole thing was, can we get Alf back to Melmac? Um, making him CGI just kind of misses the point. You know, uh, I think the success of Ted. Uh, is sort of what's what's talking here. You know, you've got Ted, who's kind of a foul-mouthed guy who's hanging out in the house, blah, 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 blah. You can't get rid of him. He doesn't have his own place. He can't go back to wherever the hell he came from. Um, I think this is a decision based on Ted. And they're looking at it as being like, well, but can we pull off another successful um, R movie? This is Sony Pictures talking. Um, I think you can, and I don't think that you need to go the Smurfs route with ALF. I don't think you go... Um, you know, but that's what Sony does. You know, Sony makes these those movies, and so I don't know if you can go the Smurfs route. I don't know if you should go the the route of the the Squeakquels, you know, and the the Alvin and the Chipmunks and stuff. Alf was a primetime show. Alf was rude. Alf burped. Alf Alf farted. I would push it closer to Ted and see if there's any room there in the uh, in the American audience for anything that 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 would work like that. I think what they're wanting to do is go with the slam dunk here and say, hey. You know, kids are gonna are liking these 
these movies with the with the Smurfs and with the this and then that, and they're just going to make another one of these things. I don't think Alf is that property. I think Alf is closer to Ted. Take the risk, honestly. Take the risk and, and make Alf loud. Make Alf funny. Make Alf something that literally you can take older people to, you know, that, that people in their 20s and 30s are going to enjoy. Um, but, again, I, I see the commercial reasons for making Alf Smurfs. But it has to be followed up with a giant... Because, ugh, ugh, oh God! All right, guys. Um, I know I'm running long, but I may not get a chance to give you guys another Geekscape pod this weekend. So I wanted to tell you guys about a few things. Um, Spaceballs is out on uh, Blu-ray. It's the 25th anniversary of Spaceballs. How awesome is that? Spaceballs is fantastic. Spaceballs kind of fills the hole in my heart left by the Star Wars films. Um, Spaceballs is out Literally it came out uh, on Tuesday uh, It's out on Blu-ray And it's kind of packed with special features um, There is a uh, There's actually A ludicrous speed you can watch it at <laughs> Like the, the movie plays like super fast So you can actually watch the movie In ludicrous speed There's an audio commentary by Mel Brooks Which is phenomenal There's also additional commentary uh, <laughs> Tracks that are in Moggies and Dinkies Um uh, there's a documentary about the making of the movie. It's pretty informative. Um, there's also conversations with uh, Mel Brooks and Tom Meehan. Um, John, there's there's like a, a kind of a sad uh, kind of documentary about John Candy. If you guys were too young to appreciate John Candy, I think it'll it'll actually give you guys an appreciation of John Candy and how amazing he was. Uh, you filmmakers will like this because there's a storyboard to film comparison of the film. There's of course like a flub. Uh, real where you can see like some of the some of the outtakes. Um, this is the this is the this is the Blu-ray to buy this week. If you're on Geekscape, if you are a geek, if you are listening to this podcast right now, and you're like, man, I need to get me some Blu-ray. Spaceballs 25th anniversary. That's the one you're going to get because uh, Fox um, Fox and MGM did, like really like really didn't pull any um, punches putting this DVD uh, this uh, Blu-ray out. Um, there it is. May the Schwartz be with you. Spaceballs on 25th. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and find time this weekend to watch this. I'm excited. Um, I've been wanting to do this the last couple of days because this is my obsession right now. There is a book coming out in October, and it sucks that it's coming out in October because I want to share this book with you guys now. For the last couple of days, um, I've been reading Marvel Comics The Untold Story by Sean Howe. This is an advanced copy that they sent me. Um, the book is being printed by HarperCollins. It comes out literally in October. Like I asked the lady, I was like, when does this come out? This book is fantastic. And it's the untold story of Marvel Comics. So much that I didn't know is being revealed to me in this book. And these are first-hand accounts. These are, these are Jack Kirby's words from interviews, Stan Lee's words from interviews, Steve Ditko's words with interviews. You really get to actually experience the rift between Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. And you get to see... That, that they went months without talking to each other. Like, literally, Steve Ditko, as he was making the arguably the best run in Spider-Man, defining the Spider-Man character, is literally just plotting it himself, because Stan Lee and he aren't talking. So he's plotting it himself, he's doing the artwork, and then he's just bringing the art in and leaving the art with an assistant who can deliver it to Stan for Stan to actually put in the dialogue. But... They weren't talking, and they weren't talking for months. 
it's an incredible, uh, incredible book. It, re it really is, is teaching me a ton about Marvel. And you see, of course, about like the early Marvel stuff, like the timely stuff, the origin of the, the silver of the Submariner, the origin of the original Human Torch, uh, when they first started uh, intermingling in the book. Like seven issues in, you finally had the Submariner and the Human Torch fight. And for people who didn't, who only were reading comics like one-offs, this was a revolutionary thing to be like, holy crap, the the Submariner. And the Human Torch, they just fought. And not only did they fight, they didn't fight in Metropolis. They didn't fight in Gotham. They fought here in New York City, like an actual place on Earth that I can go to. We take this stuff for granted now, but, uh, but back then this was, this was really revolutionary stuff. Um, let me see uh, about, about uh, reading you guys a little bit about what is going on here. Um, uh, this is really a fascinating book. I do want to read like some of it, but I, I, I don't know like what chapter to really read in. Um, let me let me read this. Okay, so uh, here is 1956. This is a this is like uh, five years before Fantastic Four. Okay, and basically uh, the the comic book industry has been hit by you know this whole idea that it's perverting our youth. And, um, and you know, they had to cut out, like, horror comics. And they basically decimated the comic book industry, right? Um, and here we are in 1956. Uh, in late 1956, at the advice of Monroe uh, Frelick, Goodman, Martin Goodman, the owner of, of Marvel at the time, he also ran magazines, abandoned self-distribution and signed with American News Company, right? He, he wanted to put comics out again. Uh, but, uh, but ANC... American News Company, reeling from a Department of Justice investigation for monopolistic practices and fighting lawsuits from its own clients, suddenly ceased its wholesale periodical division in April 1957, leaving Goodman with a magazine and comic book empire but no way to reach newsstands. Independent News, seeing the profitability of Goodman's magazines, agreed, agreed to distribute Goodman's publications. But because Independent News was owned by Timely's rival DC, there would be a catch. Goodman's comic book output could not exceed eight titles per month. Like, DC had Marvel by the, by the balls. <laughs> They're like, fine, we'll, we'll help you distribute your comics, but you can only print eight a month. And this lasted for over a decade. The timely line was decimated instantly. Goodman scheduled himself a vacation in Florida and told Lee, Stan Lee, who's young at the time, he's probably in his early 30s, to fire the staff once again. It was the toughest thing I ever did in my life, said Lee. I had to tell them, and I was friends with these people, so many of them, I had dinner with them at, at their homes. I knew their wives or kids, and I had to tell them this. It was, as I say, the most horrible thing I ever had to do. After each conversation with the staff member, Lee left for the bathroom. Then he came back and fired another. John Romita, already impatient with his dwindling page rates, got a call from one of Stan's lovely soon-to-depart assistants. Stop work immediately. He asked to be recompensed for the work he'd already done. She said she'd pass along the message but he never heard back. If Stan Lee ever calls, Romita told his wife, tell him to go to hell. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty interesting part of the book. Can you imagine, 1957, Stan Lee has to fire John Romita, and then all of a sudden, with this rift with Steve Ditko, once he's created Spider-Man, and Spider-Man's huge, who took over Spider-Man after Steve Ditko? John Romita. How did that happen? How did they get somebody who literally was like, you can tell Stan Lee to go to hell to come back under the fold? It's in this book. I think this book's incredible. Did you know that Hank Pym had a wife? 
before Janet Pym? That's right. Her name was Maria. <laughs> and she died. She died and left him, and he was sad. And then Janet Pym was like one of his students, and she was young, and it was almost weird that he was hanging out with this, such a young woman, and then they fell in love. And now we know the story of Janet Pym and Hank Pym, but I had no idea Hank Pym had a wife previous to Janet Pym. Let's hear that story. Let's put that in the comics. Um, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. It's not just a plug for the book. Literally, the book doesn't come out until October, but go ahead and go on Amazon and uh, like pre-order it because it's fantastic. I'm, I'm maybe a sixth of the book, and I take it everywhere. I take it, like, if I get 15 minutes here, I'll read it. If I get five minutes here, I'll read it. Um, it's about all I get these, week, these days. <laughs> uh, go pre-order it. It's awesome. Here we go. Geekscape. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Geekscape.net is our website. If you search for Geekscape on any of the social media, you'll find us. Go ahead and join us. Be our friend. we got contests and stuff. We just gave somebody a Blu-ray copy of Spaceballs because we had a contest on Facebook. That's the only way to win is to join us on Facebook. Check out our site, Geekscape.net. we got tons of people just writing content constantly. I'm so proud of them. I love what Geekscape is, is doing right now. And we got new Geekscape. It's like totally... Throwing in on the forums, making friends, just like old times. You can follow me on Twitter, Jonathan London. Uh, you can follow Geekscape on Twitter, just search, search for it, and uh, order some t-shirts, do some stuff. You can hear Rufus snoring again. <laughs> Let me see if I can get the mic close to him. Here we go, here we go. I'm going to move the mic actually close to him. That's what he thinks of Geekscape. And... Uh, <laughs> This is your Geekscape, but I'll see you guys next time.